This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, hello. Brandon Harvey here with this week's episode of Sounds Good. This is the podcast where every single Monday I sit down with an inspiring person and we talk about happiness and overcoming struggles and living a life of intentionality and wonder. This week, I'm so excited to share a conversation with Hannah Brencher. Hannah is a writer, a TED speaker, and a professional letter sender, which sounds crazy, I know. In 2011, she founded The World Needs More Love Letters. It's a global community of over 20,000 individuals across six continents, 53 countries, and all 50 states who believe in the power of writing love letters. Hannah's amazing work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Oprah, Glamour, USA Today, the Chicago Tribune, and dozens of other publications. And she's also the author of If You Find This Letter. In this week's conversation, we're going to talk a lot about love letters and the secret power that they hold, how Hannah battled with and overcame depression, and the power of small acts of kindness. I'm super excited about this episode, so let's just jump straight into it. All right, I am on the line with the amazing Hannah Brencher. Hannah, welcome to Sounds Good. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I am so excited. This is so fun. I know. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while, so this is well overdue. I am honored. I'm so honored. (laughs) Okay, Hannah, so you recently got married, which is amazing. I have been married for only a year now, so I just want to ask you, like, how is marriage? What's it been like? It's, I mean, it's a lot of fun. I feel like I don't have any, like, I can't say anything about marriage yet because I'm only a month into it. So I'm like, you know what you, like, people have been tweeting at me being like, do blog posts about marriage. And I'm like, give me another 50 years because I don't feel ready to talk on that topic, you know, because I, you know, people say marriage is hard and I believe that. And it's not hard right now, but I'm sure it will be hard. But for right now, it kind of feels like you're like, at a massive slumber party and like you get to hang out with your best friend a lot and like I don't know I I find a lot of comfort in marriage because you suddenly have a teammate that you can talk to about everything and like finances and all this stuff suddenly you're doing it together where like I think that was always a chronic fear for me that I was just gonna have to do everything alone yeah right now marriage is awesome but good I'll tell you that that doesn't go away or it hasn't gone away from me yet. Like, it's just really awesome. fun to be married. And it's cool because you do have like people say marriage is hard and it is hard. Like you get the hard moments and the hard experiences. But like the fun stays there as far as, love you that. know, as as far down the road as I am. And um, it's I've, I love that. I'm so excited for you. Thank you. It's been a whirlwind. I'm like, oh, my gosh, a year ago, I could have never anticipated that I would be married. And here I am. So that's so fun. That's so fun. 
Um, well, thanks for taking the time out of your first month of marriage to, to be on the show. Of um, course. My pleasure. So I want to jump into your story. And your story in so many ways has just become intermingled with handwritten letters. Um, mm-hmm. And so I wanted to just start off by asking, do you remember the first letter you ever received? In my, in my life? In your life. Or the first meaningful letter that you received. Yeah. I mean... Wow. Well, I think that probably the most meaningful letters that I remember from a young age were like letters from my grandmother. My mo- my grandmother used to write us all letters, which is mm. interesting when you look at like what I've become known for on the internet is that it really is a strong lineage of letter writers in my family that started with my grandmother and my grandmother used to like write these beautiful like letters and then she'd write poems for us when we were little, but my grandmother um struggled with some really bad arthritis. And so towards the end of her life, she was not able to write anymore. Um, And I just remember those letters that trickled into letters that my mom would write me and leave all over the place for me. And then probably, I mean, like, when I was in like high school or college, like letters were still pretty prevalent, you know, like I was the girl that had like 80 pen pals because I wanted to get letters (laughs) from people. And like, I remember Girls Life magazine had this pen pal subscription and I would sign up under different names and basically lie to my pen pals about who I was, but like just to get more mail. Um, (laughs) So I've always really loved letters and have really just, it wasn't until I was in college that I realized like that's actually not that common of a thing. Most people didn't grow up with their parents writing them letters. That's so funny. I feel like everybody that I ever was like pen pals with or wrote letters with, it trickled off for me after one or two letters. Like I never really got into the art form of letter writing. Oh, well, I I didn't either, though. That's the thing. I really just (laughs) wanted the mail. Like, I really didn't have any, like, dedicated, dedicated pen pals apart from one girl in New Mexico that was, like, a family friend. But, like, you'd go to summer camp, and that was the thing. Like, you were going to write to each other after summer camp. But, like, I I just wanted to get the letters. I didn't necessarily want to write back. (laughs) But what you were doing is you were experiencing the value of receiving letters. Like, it was life-giving and meaningful for you, and... Uh, and you weren't yet at the place of, of reciprocating that, but that's like fascinating and beautiful in and of itself that you were uh, experiencing the power of that. Well, and you think about it and you're like, that's how we used to like, I mean, I try to think back to a world before social media existed and I remember it in bits and pieces, but I'm like, we've had it. I mean, for the most part, like I remember I grew up with the internet and I grew up being in love with the internet, but like before before AIM, before the AOL dial-up, you know, like you would write letters to learn stuff about another person. And that was the anticipation of getting a letter was like all the questions you asked would be answered in the letter. It's the same thing with when we used to like pass notes in like middle school to one another, you know, like mm. I remember having like a crush or whatever and like you'd write a note and then they'd pass you a note back. And like there was an anticipation that I feel like has really kind of fallen off in our culture today. We are a culture of instant gratification. And so, like, we're not writing letters. We're not really waiting on anything. And I feel like that's part of an element of society that we're missing, but we're craving. That's really, really well said. That's beautiful. <laughs> well, honestly, that that is the origins behind, like, even... And I know we'll get into talking about more love letters, but people always, like, want to bottle it up or they want to, like, just, like, 
boil it down to like love letters. And to me, it's never been about that. To me, it's been about like the the consequences of the digital age and how do we make sure we stay connected in a world that's forcing us to be disconnected. And that's interesting because more love letters has an interesting way of connecting more than anybody else. It seems strangers to other strangers um Mm -hmm. and not in like a hey you've got a new pen pal type of way but in a in a way where it's like hey we're all in this together so i'm just putting this love out into the world without expecting anything in return totally yeah and a lot of i think a lot of things are like people i mean i remember when i was starting more love letters and people said well that won't work if you can't give them something of value back and that's been proven wrong because i think that people do get a lot of value just from doing something outside of themselves. You know, like that's, that's what I've seen firsthand is that people are looking for purpose. They're looking for something to do. And so you don't necessarily have to gratify them with something back in the mail for them to feel like they're a part of something. That's really interesting. So how did more love letters come to be then? If it wasn't growing up, if it wasn't even in high school, where did it kind of begin for you? Um, some more love letters. Well, it started in New York City and not anything I was looking to start. I always say it was like the best accident because uh, I just I just never anticipated this. And I I moved to New York City right after college and what I were you found doing myself there? I was uh doing a year of of volunteer service, which basically is like you agree to make no money for an entire year and you live on a stipend. I lived in the Bronx, New York, and I lived um, on the third floor of an immigration center. Oh, wow. And yeah, and it was very tough. And so I really had a great job, though, in the sense that my job was to be the New York representative for a non-governmental organization at the United Nations. I mean, incredible. Who really... Who really gets to do that after college? I'm not really sure. But basically, my days were spent like going in and out of the United Nations, attending meeting and basically being a liaison to the people in our organization that were on the ground. Um, and so it was it was a really awesome job. But I think what I learned from living in the Bronx and also being at the UN was like, I was met firsthand with the fact that this world is really, really broken. I saw poverty in my neighborhood. I saw a lot of things I couldn't change. And then I would go over to the UN and I would see all of this awful stuff on a global scale, whether it be Mm. human trafficking or hunger or sustainability. And I just felt like me being an empath, me being somebody who likes to take like the weight of the world on her shoulders, that really affected me. I felt like it was the first time in my life that like when people tell you you can change the world, I felt like I was like, no, you actually can't. Like this world is too broken, you know? And wow. so I I think that really informed the sadness that I started experiencing and the loneliness that I started experiencing. And that eventually manifested into depression. I knew nothing about depression. I didn't think I was somebody who could struggle with depression. And because of that, I really didn't know how to seek treatment. I didn't know how to get help for it. And Really, as a way of coping with my depression, I started picking strangers out of the crowds of New York City and writing letters to them. And when I realized I was never going to have the courage to give them these letters, I started ripping them out of my notebook and leaving them around New York City in coffee shops and in libraries and at the UN, anywhere that I thought somebody would pick up a letter and read it. And that really was the start of what laid the foundation for more love letters. And so when you're writing these letters, you're just saying... Like you're, you're sitting in a coffee shop and you see somebody, what do you see in that person and what do you end up writing in that letter? 
I mean, I really saw a lot of loneliness. You you sit on the trains in New York City, and I'm not sure, like, if you've – like, the trains yeah. in New York are just depressing. Like, and <laughs> it's, it's interesting because even then, social media wasn't a huge thing. It was definitely on – like, it was up and coming, but, like – we're so used to being connected to our phones every single day that when you go underground on the subway and you can't use your phone anymore, it's kind of just like, what do I do with myself? If I don't have a book, if I don't have a notebook and I would look around and stare at all the people, which probably wasn't the smartest thing to do, not something you should do in New York city. And I just sensed a lot of emptiness and a lot of loneliness. And so I figured I must not be the only one that's feeling this way. And so I, Mm. I look back on those first letters and I really think like, I wrote words that I was not willing to tell myself at the time. And you weren't giving these to these people, but you were putting them, you're just leaving them around town knowing yeah. that there's more, you know, if if you're experiencing this and some strangers experiencing this, the Usana train, then probably another stranger somewhere else is experiencing this. Absolutely. Yeah. And hoping that somebody would pick them up, but I wasn't signing the letters. I really didn't have some agenda in mind. Like I was trying to freelance. I was trying to write for different magazines. I was trying to build a website. I was trying to do all these things. And like, that's because I think I wanted significance and I wanted importance and I wanted to be remembered in this world. Um, but I did not actually think that the number one thing that I was doing, writing and leaving letters unsigned around the city, would actually be the thing that led to all of the things I was looking for. Okay, and so move me forward to when this became more than just a girl in New York leaving letters for strangers. Like, at what point, what was kind of the tipping point? Well, I ended up um, I ended up blogging about it. I still, to this day, I'm like, I don't know why I blogged about it, but I had a blog that I created my senior year of college, and I just wrote a post about how how we're really not writing letters to one another anymore, you know. And I wrote about my um, a professor that I had in college, and she and her husband had fallen in love through letter writing because that was the only way that you could stay in touch back in like the '60s, and so. She had, I remember her telling us this story of falling in love through letter writing, but I remember more than anything her looking at the class and saying to us, your generation is never going to have this. And Mm. it really kind of hit me hard because I thought like, you know, I didn't want to bring back the lost art of letter writing. That wasn't the goal or the agenda, but I knew exactly what she meant when she said like, you guys are not going to have this unique way of falling in love and paying attention to one another. And that was... That was six years ago, you know, and like now it's like we are even more connected than we were uh, like half a dozen years ago. And so like I blogged about that. And at the end of the blog post, I said, if you need a letter for whatever reason, like I will write you one. And I think I expected that I would get a few letter requests and it would be like a fun little blog post. I remember when, but it took on a life of its own and I got hundreds of letter requests. and. Yeah, and I spent the next uh, about year of my life, nine months, ten months, um, writing over 400 letters to strangers and mailing them. Wow. Man, I can't even imagine. I certainly have not written that many letters in my life. (laughs) Um, I try not to write that many emails. Um, What did these letters say? Was there kind of an overarching theme that a lot of them hit on? Were they all really different? Kind of what was that like? It was a lot of, I mean, it was, it was like the first time that I realized like, wow, like 
I am not alone in the way that I'm feeling. It was a lot of young women, a lot of women struggling with purpose or struggling with depression or loneliness or college. Um, a lot of girls from Ivy League schools that were really like, I'm here because it's my parents' dream, but I honestly don't know why I'm here. Um, it was every kind of story that you could imagine. It was people requesting letters for other people. It was um, mothers, and it was men, and it was women, and um you know, it was, I wanted to vary up the letters. And so I tried my best to space them out and to be unique with each one. But it was definitely much easier when somebody was able to give me a little bit about their life, something that I could respond mm. to. But yeah. that was never a requirement. It was never like, email me, tell me what's going on, and then I'll write you a letter. It was just, if you want a letter. So some people were like, yeah, I just want a letter because I don't get letters in the mail. But other people were like, well, this is what I'm going through, and this is why I don't know if I have any hope left. And, like, I, I mean, I remember one person saying, like, you know, my friend doesn't really even want to live anymore. Can you write him a letter? And it's like, whoa, like, what have I just stumbled into? And yeah. And I, I can't sit here and act like it was all romantic and I was just running around New York writing letters to strangers. Like, it got old really quickly. Like, you make a promise and then you, like, you ultimately regret that you made the promise. Um, so it was, it was very hard and challenging, but I wanted to be a person of my word. And, uh, no matter how much I tried to move into different topics or do something different, everybody was enamored with these letters and wanted to stay close to what was ever happening with these letters. What was it like going so deep with so many strangers? Because I know, you know, I, I try to put a lot of depth into this podcast and, uh, I try to respond to a lot of my emails that I get from uh, from people with questions with with a lot of depth, and I try to just put a lot of depth into you know the people in my real life. And honestly, at the end of the day, on the days where I go deepest, I'm just like I'm exhausted and I'm empty. <laughs> yeah. And you already said that it wasn't super sustainable, but what did it feel like at this time? I I mean, it was. I don't ever want to make it seem like I because. Uh, you know, I've, I've done a lot of interviews in the last few years about more love letters. And, and a lot of times when I've done interviews with magazines or with big TV shows or whatever, the story is always that I started writing letters and then I wasn't sad anymore and my depression went away. And that that's not true. The letters definitely helped, um, but it also helped that I went and saw somebody and I coped with somebody and I, I fought to get out of this depression. And so... I think more than anything, like the letters allowed me to kind of escape what I was going through, but it didn't mean that the sadness went away. It just kind of allowed me to focus on other people. Um, I think it grew my, like, my capacity for empathy. Um, and really, I, I don't know, I felt pretty hopeful when I was doing this because I was ultimately getting to help people. It was just in a way that I never anticipated I would help people. I always thought poverty meant that you were hungry or you needed clothes. But, I mean, this is a whole different kind of poverty that the kind that Mother Teresa talks the most about, which is, like, poverty of the spirit, loneliness, and depression, and all of these Western diseases, as she would call them, that, like, really plague us as a society. And so I felt like the door kind of got opened in that moment to be like, you don't ever get to turn away from this. Like, actually, this is what you are called to do is to really be a light 
through the means of the internet, which might seem crazy to some people, but that is consistently how I've been able to spread light and spread a movement and then spread my own words has been through the internet is where I find the lost and the lonely broken people. That's beautiful. Thank you. Tell me about the process of inviting other people to have this same experience that you were having. Yeah, it it got to the point, I think, probably in, it was about, like, I know I started thinking about it in, like, July, August of that um, following year of, like, wanting to expand this, but really not knowing what to do with it, and um, really not wanting to put anything out into the world if it wasn't necessary. Like, I'm a big proponent of, like, don't just start something because you want to be known for something, because, like, you have to steward that thing. And like, I'm a big advocate for like, you know, even like, don't create a blog if you're not going to blog on it. Like, we don't need any more orphans on the internet. And like, every blog that gets abandoned Mm. to me is like an orphan. Um, But so for this, it was like kind of, you know, other people wanted to get involved with it, but I really didn't know how to involve people. And honestly, I didn't really want to do it, if I'm being honest. Like, I didn't want to be known as the love letter girl. I, you know, I talked to a lot of people and ultimately what it came down to was I was contacted by a reporter from the Wall Street Journal and she had just interviewed somebody who'd actually gotten a love letter from me and she was writing a piece on the handwritten, like the art of the handwritten note and she wanted to put me in the paper the following week and that was really my moment of like, oh goodness, there are so many readers at the Wall Street Journal, it's only the biggest newspaper in the country and if I don't turn this into something else... Either I'm going to become completely known for this thing that I don't want to be known for, or I'm going to kill this without ever knowing the potential of it. And so I kind of chose the middle road. I built a website. I came up with a concept, and I put it out there in the world, and I just never, ever anticipated that it was going to blow up to what it is now. Um, And so I've just slowly followed it along the way, and I've just said yes to the opportunities that have come from it. That's really cool. There's something really important about saying yes to things mm. even when you are scared by them, even when you like don't necessarily see kind of the end path because I think that that's where most of the world's greatest successes have come from, have come from kind of accidental yeses and you know, I feel like the best dreams come a little bit more serendipitously than we can plan. Absolutely. Not anything like people. I'm like, I can't take credit for this. I really can't. Like, yes, I've worked hard and yes, I've done my best to steward it. But like, like, come on, love letters have been written for so many years and I'm not the first person to leave letters around the world. I know that for a fact, you know, but like, why then was this idea so electric? Um, I, I might never know the reason for that, but I'm thankful. Yeah. What does your community look like right now? You know, what does this movement you've created look like? Well, you know, it's people, it's all different kinds of people. It's people young and old, um, people that are nostalgic for the days when we used to write letters to one another and then a, a massive generation that has never actually participated in letter writing and yet they're hooked with it. You know, I think our most robust efforts are in our campus chapters, which are um, young men and women around the country and around the world that basically work really hard to establish more love letters as a chapter, a club on their campus and then they go about really loving their students well. And we've just seen so much success with that. And so demographics, I would say, is mainly millennials and the generation beneath millennials, the younger um, people, which is surprising because 
especially like for me, when More Love Letters started, I was working for the organization Save the Children and I was on their PR team. And it was the constant debate of how do we get millennials involved in something. And I always believed that millennials we were not the stereotypes that people wanted to say about us Mm -hmm. and that we were people that wanted to be involved with something more than a click or a tweet or a retweet or like uh, we call it slacktivism, you know, where it's like, you don't have to do much, but you're an activist. And I don't (laughs) think that that actually fills a hole inside of us. I think that we've seen through our organization that millennials are the ones that want to go out. They want to invest in the stationery. They want to get the stamps. They want to go to the post office. They want to be a part of this thing. And that if you give people an assignment, they will blow your expectations out of the water nine times out of 10. That's amazing. That's so cool. And and so what's the process? Somebody reaches out and they say, hey, I need a letter. Yeah, so people um, now, they go on the website and they request and nominate uh, friends and family that are going through something tough to receive love letters. So Mm. it could be um, a friend going through depression, homesickness, loss of a loved one, illness. Um, But we really um, have changed our structure so that people are requesting letters on behalf of other people. And that was kind of one of the the biggest focus from the very beginning. Like we used to have copy on our website that said, you know, like you can look at this website and you can think that it's all about you and that's totally fine. But you could also look at this website and you could think it's all about other people. And so instead of saying, hey, I need a letter, think about who in your life needs a love letter. And then the hope was that that would always challenge people, that if they were going onto our website, they were requesting love letters for somebody, maybe something would click in their brain to realize like, wait, I don't actually even need this organization. I could write these letters. I could get our friends together. I could do something for our friend in need. And so we... I wish that we could take every letter request and honor it and fulfill it. We we don't have that capacity anymore, but we go through... We pick the stories that we think will resonate most with our audience. We put them up online for a two-week period, and then anyone around the world has a chance to write in a letter that will be submitted to a much larger bundle of handwritten letters, Um, sometimes anywhere from 600 to, I think we just had our biggest bundle of 1,400 letters show up for somebody. Um, It's it's pretty wild, yeah. And so, um, you know, it's... We have changed it so that it used to be me getting all the letters and then filtering all the letters and then mailing them out. And it's like, that is a way to kill your business right there. Like, that's not sustainable at all. Um, and we have come up with a new method that we've been using for the last few years that, like, when you request letters for a friend, you also give us an address that you are willing to make public where you yourself can facilitate the letters for your friend. And it actually makes for a much more intimate experience because then you're able to take all these letters and have a really intimate moment with your friend to say like, hey, I know you're struggling or I know that you're going through this and I just, I wanted to let you know that I did something for you and these are letters from people all around the world that are cheering for you right now. Uh, I just got goosebumps. That's so powerful. (laughs) Uh. It's, It's really, it's really, really powerful and like I said, like I don't, I can't take any kind of credit for it because... Yeah, I don't even know why <laughs> why I get to lead this thing. It's cool because you've tapped into something that I think, you know, I would imagine other listeners just got goosebumps like I did. You've tapped into something that so many people connect with and you brought it to the world. And I think that that's, that's got to be a really fun movement to be a part of because it's 
it's ultimately bigger than just an idea you have. You know, it's something that we all crave and you're just helping facilitate it. And it's funny because it's like people always are like, oh, my gosh, like you can't really have a bad day with this. You know, like it's not like people are not outraged if they receive love letters. It's never happened for us. I think like I don't think we've ever had anybody complain about what's going on. And I think probably the hardest thing that's ever been like that's come across our organization is the fact that like you see the nominations come through and you're like, oh, my gosh, I did not. Like, I cannot even fathom the amount of sadness or the amount of loss that some people face. And you, you know, and I'm sure you felt that before when you're trying to answer emails and you are trying to, like, in a lot of ways, like, show up for a lot of people that it can really kind of drain you or push you down sometimes. And I have to remind myself, like, okay, we're doing as much as we can as much as we can. And then you have to be willing to like shut it off and go to sleep and wake up in the morning and try again. Are you ever scared that you're not going to be able to respond to the person that needs it most or that you're going to respond to somebody and it's not going to be the right words? You know, um, I probably was afraid of that at the beginning. Um, but I don't think it's a fear anymore because I just, I don't know. I am a believer that like, Whoever needs to show up in my inbox that day is meant to be there and that I can only do what I can. And if I think that I'm missing out on people or I'm not doing enough, like that's me having my own like savior complex because honestly, I can't help people beyond like just showing up and doing small things for them. And so as long as I stay obedient in that and I stay faithful to what I feel like it's it's been put on my plate, like you know, I have to trust that it's enough. And I think the lesson that I've learned in the last few years is that like, yes, it's wonderful to show up for strangers on the internet. And it's amazing that we get the chance to impact people that we will probably never meet otherwise. But like, at some point, you have to be willing to say like me being known on the internet is not as important as me being known in real life with the people in my life that are much harder to love than these strangers. That's really good. That's really, really good. <laughs> it's really tough, I, but... It's yeah, good. it's really tough. And it's one of those things where I think we live in this age where the word community is thrown around a lot. And I just threw it around earlier. Um, and and I like to think of, you know, this podcast as a community. And I like to think of, you know, the the crew that I that I hang out with on Instagram as a community. But the truth is, I think that that falls short a little bit of what community actually means, you know, and it's, I get Mm -hmm. to just show up on my best days and put stuff out on the internet, or I just get to show up on my best days and put things out in the world. But real community is when I'm like at the grocery store and I look awful and I've had a rough week and my neighbor bumps into me and we start talking and he gets to see this like brand and it's not all put together. And I think that's, some of the value of community. But I think that there's something really cool about the fact that while letter writing isn't exactly like you're not getting the same sort of community as you would have in, you know, your personal relationships, you are actually going deep and you're meeting people where they're at and there's empathy and there's, uh, there's kind of an understanding that perfection isn't required. I think that's really valuable and important. Absolutely. And I try to, I try to be as genuine on the screen as I am off the screen in the sense that like we don't need a bunch of fakers on the internet. It's like you can really custom curate your Instagram profiles and your Twitter profiles. But like I don't see the value of it if you are not who you say you are at the end of the day. Um, and so 
I don't know. I just, I have like a kind of just a mindset of like, I'm, I'm never going to be perfect and I'm not going to put my life out there like it's perfect. And like that opens the door and allows other people like the freedom to also not be perfect. And I, I'm going to get emails every day from people that are just a struggling mess showing up in my inbox. And like, that's okay. Like, I'd rather you like come and say that somewhere, even if you don't feel comfortable enough to say it to your friends and family. Like, if I can catch that email, like, hopefully I can prompt you in that direction and like be a first step towards something. Man, that is good. That is really good. <laughs> so you wrote letters, you kind of found, you stumbled across this concept, this thing that, that people really believed in, and you kind of created a movement out of that. Then you turned that story into a book. How old were you when you wrote this book? I started writing the book in 2014, and it came out in 2015. And how old were you at that time? I was 20, I believe I was 25 when I sold the book. I'm 28 now. Whoa, that is so young. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. So, and we're gearing up right now for the, the second book, so. Okay, okay, so that's, so you were 25 when you got your first book sold. Um, yeah. And you've got your second book coming out at 28. What's mm-hmm. it like having your first book and then <laughs> your second book released in your 20s? Well, it's awesome. I mean, it's wonderful to be able to write books because if I'm being honest with you, like I didn't ever, that's all I've ever wanted to do since I was little. And like, um, I know a, p- a lot of people say that, right? Like I've wanted to write books, but like that was all I ever was told growing up that I would be mm. was an author. That was my grandmother and my mother both told me like there was no other option. And it wasn't like a, you must be an author, but it was just a matter of fact of like, you're going to be an author and you will have books on a bookshelf one day. And I just never, I never doubted that. If my grandmother said I could do something, then I was going to do it. And when my grandmother passed away, like my whole life took on a whole new purpose of, okay, I just want to be able to prove her that she was right. You know, like I want to see her one day in heaven and say like, look what I did for you, you know, like, and, um, I think that people, the human spirit will go to great lengths um, to prove to somebody who believed in you that they were right to believe in you. And uh, it's, it's really awesome. It's amazing to have, you know, sold a second and a third book and to be on track to continue to write more books. Um, uh, it's hard. Writing a book is not for the faint of heart. Um, and I, But I love it. I, I really... To me, like, I am, like, a, a down and dirty, like, get in the grit, get in the mud stuff, and I like to be challenged in that way, and nothing has ever challenged my soul and my heart in the way that book writing does, and so I'm excited to get back into it this year, um, and yeah, it's kind of, it's just a dream come true that, like, you, I forget about it all the time that I have a book, to be honest, and then I see <laughs> it on Instagram, or I see it in my own office, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I wrote that thing, and then I wrote all the words inside of that thing, and it's just, it's cool. I think it's cool to have started it so young that um, hopefully I can continue to write books throughout my lifetime, and then, you know, my children or my grandchildren, like, they can know where it all started. I, I think it's a rare thing that you get to write a book so young, but um, I don't take it for granted for sure. That's really, really cool. I love that. Thank you. I love it too. I, I love books. <laughs> <laughs> oh, You talked about how you were in New York and you were struggling with depression for the first time. Yeah. And it's not that letters took away the depression, but they were a part of the process of... Um, depression kind of 
evaporating in some ways. I don't know if evaporating is the right metaphor, but mm-hmm. has has depression returned at any point since then? You've been continuing to write letters this whole time. Um, has depression come back at all? Yeah. Um, so I didn't, you know, I think the first time I dealt with depression, it was just kind of like, okay, I want this to be over as soon as possible. I was diagnosed with depression, um, in January of that year, um, that I was living in New York city. And, um, it was a, it was a pretty, I mean, it was like a five or six month depression. It wasn't like a severe depression, but it was definitely depression. And I didn't know the statistics. I had no idea that, um, if you struggle with depression once, there is an 80% chance that you will relapse and experience it again. 80%. Um, 80%, yes. And so wow. I didn't know that. I thought if I've struggled with it once. It's over. It's done. It's out of my system. You know, I thought it was like the chicken pox. Like it can never come back. <laughs> um, and I went through a depression from, I would say it started in November of 2014 all the way through March of 2015 when my book released, which is interesting because it was wow. probably the time that everybody thought this is the happiest time of my life. Um, and it was nothing compared to that. Um, and I, I don't know, I still say to this day, if I, if I thought to call the first, the first time I went through depression, like depression, um, this needed an entirely different name because it was in, an entirely different beast. Um, it was a very severe depression that left me out of work for four months, um, unable to really do anything. I was hospitalized. Um, and, uh, doctors were telling me it was going to take six to 12 months of intense rehabilitation therapy to bring me back to a normal functioning state. Um, so yeah, that was the fight for my life for sure. <laughs> wow. And what was the process of coming out of that depression? Like what was, what was the difference there? Yeah. And you know, so the second depression, um, is really, is really a huge element of my second book that I'm writing right now. Um, because I think a lot of what happened with that depression was that I had moved to Atlanta. So I, I moved from Connecticut to Atlanta, not really knowing anybody, not really having many friends and really like, I think that what happened, like, and this is kind of like a cautionary tale or whatever, is that when more love letters blew up, it blew up. I was very young. Um, I was all of a sudden doing interviews with massive newspapers, massive magazines. Like, I got a book deal. I did a TED Talk. The talk went viral. All of these things that happened that people would say, like, that's the ultimate goal. That's ultimately what I'm working for. I got everything that I wanted before the age of 25, and it didn't fill me, and it didn't make me any better of a person. And um, even though I was helping people daily and, and getting fuel from that, like, I was resisting pl- planting down roots. I was resisting letting anybody help me. I was resisting being known in a lot of ways. I mean, like, uh, Don Miller, Donald Miller writes that book, Scary Close, about like being afraid of intimacy and being close with people. And I, I really resonate with that a lot because I thought if I can just do things for applause, then people will never have to worry about me. I can always help people. And, um, I moved to new, I moved to Atlanta and, um, People wanted to get to know me. People wanted to have dinner with me. People didn't want to know me because I was the girl that wrote the book or the girl that put the love letters out in the world. They just wanted to know me for who I was. And I felt really not ready for that. Um, I always just wanted to get on an airplane and go somewhere new and speak to another crowd. And I watched my loneliness mount and my sadness mount. And uh, it was a bigger crash than I could have ever anticipated. Um, and so... 
I kind of, I, I avoided all the warning signs and when everything crashed, it kind of just, it crashed hard and I had to learn how to stay. I had to learn how to let people in. I had to learn how to let people take care of me. I mean, like it was the most humbling thing in the world to have like your mom taking care of you and sleeping with you every single night because you were having night terrors and because you can't, you can't go to sleep. You're wired. I mean, I lost 12 pounds. I, um, I was, I was at a rock bottom point and I really had to have people take care of me and I had not let that happen before. And so, um, it was a really, really scary time for me, but I came out the other side of it more stronger than I could have ever imagined. And I had a friend, um, he always said to me, you know, like when, when this all happened and I, I got hit with this depression, I had said to him, like, I just want to go back to normal. Like I'll do anything that I can to just mm. go back to normal. I, I won't, I won't ruffle anybody's feathers. I won't try to be big. I won't try to be successful. Like I just want to go back to normal. And he looked at me and he said, you know, like your normal is what got you here. And he said, when a tree gets struck by lightning, it never goes back to normal. Like you're going to have to build a new kind of normal. And he could not have been more right. And Honestly, that is how I seized my life back. And that is how um, I keep the depression at bay every single day is that I built a new kind of normal. And that wasn't about getting on airplanes or writing more books or being more successful. I mean, like I was ready to sell my second book right after I finished my first book. And we actually just sold the second book um, a week before my wedding. And so like that was a long process for me, a long process of waiting and planting and wondering if anything was going to grow. But like, I've just learned so much from the process of everyday life rather than the mountaintops, rather than the times where everything is Instagram worthy. And so, I mean, how do I like make sure that I don't fall into another depressive state? I stick close to people I stay honest with people. Um, I learned how to cook in order to um, naturally take care of my depression with the foods that I eat. Um, I work out um, five days a week. Uh, I tried to get to five days a week, 45 minutes every day, like my doctor tells me. I see a therapist. I'm on medication. I'm doing everything that I can so that I can thrive in this lifetime and so that depression cannot steal another day from me. And ultimately, it might. It will. It might come back. And if it does, I'm, I'm ready to fight because I've been through it twice and I know I can go through it again. Um, but in the meantime, I'm keeping all the warning signs at bay to make sure that I don't, um, I don't fall back into that. That's beautiful. <laughs> that's no, that's I, I just got even more goosebumps than I had before. That's incredibly inspiring and encouraging and and also honest. And uh, I'm already so excited for uh, your book now. This is going to be uh, It's going to be a good one. I really, good. you know, I think I was always afraid that like the like more love letters was always going to be my best story, you know? Like and you'd always have to be that person that was like I'm telling a story of something that happened to me when I was 22 years old. Um but the story that came out from behind the more love letter story to me is 10 times more powerful and 10 times more relatable. Because a lot of times that's what we're doing. We're always on the move to get somewhere, even though we don't know where that place is. And we miss the here and now. And that's where life is actually happening. Mm, that is so important. So I've been following you online for a while. And this idea that you've been kind of tweeting about and blogging about, 
has just kind of kept on coming to mind. And I don't even know if you're like realizing that you've got this theme growing, but it's been this idea of smallness. Um, Mm. And on Twitter, you recently shared, smallness is where the real work happens. Smallness is where we learn what we are made of. Smallness is where our actions trump our talk. And Mm. you have had these other blogs. You had this blog the day after election day, and it was a love letter. And you talked about this idea that small tasks matter. Little text messages, little love letters, Mm. conversations, they all matter. Um, And so I wanted to talk to you about this idea of of smallness and, and small little things. Um, can you elaborate more on what you've been thinking about? Yeah. You know, I think, I, I think that's probably the biggest thing that um, the thing I've learned coming out of that depression was the importance of small things on repeat, which is interesting because it was the last thing that I spoke about in my first book. And then it kind of became the theme for my life. It's like mm. do small things on repeat and think about other people. And I, I realize, like, if I if I break my life into small things, I no longer wonder what my purpose is or what my calling is. I don't struggle with those things anymore because I think if I'm here and I'm alive today, there is something that I'm meant to do today, you know? And, like, I don't know. I felt it a lot, especially with uh, the election, which uh, we won't get into politics. I don't really talk politics because um, I don't know nearly enough. <laughs> but... I felt like this huge weight on everybody when, when this election, when the results came out and everybody was taking to Twitter and Instagram and it was just like really like I had to pull off from it because a lot of it was very vapid and like not good for my soul. And I, I'm very like sensitive to those sorts of things, but I don't know. I just kept getting hit with the fact that it's like, okay, well, like if we're struggling and if we're having a hard time, like we should just be reaching out to one another. We don't need to do this on social media, you know, like you can be calling your friends, you can be writing a letter. And so like every single day when I do like my time where I'm, I'm journaling and doing my quiet time, like I quiet my mind and I just kind of ask God, you know, like, what are the small things that I need to remember today? And, and without fail, Things come onto my page, whether it is get in touch with this person I haven't heard from in a few years or like the other like the other month, it was like um, writing an email to a friend that like we used to like work together company wise, but like uh, sending her just a short email and they end up being like the most monumental things and the things that mm. I remember most, like even like. A funny story. I don't know if you followed in my Instagram stories. Um, but I, the other day, my, my assistant, she moved to St. Louis and she was telling Mm. me like her biggest worry was that like she wasn't going to have like anything to do after work. She's not familiar with the city. So me and the intern that was working with me last year, last week, we decided we're like, okay, well, we're going to make her like a, a guide to St. Louis and we'll email it to her. And like, she'll have this guide of places to go and places to work out and places to eat and everything. Now, a lot of people would probably say, well, that doesn't fit into my day. You know, like I've got my certain tasks that I have to do, but I, I am of the biggest proponent that like, if you can do something for somebody else, move everything off the calendar in order to show up for somebody else. Mm. But the coolest thing about it was that like we're creating this guide and I like made this joke about like how funny would it be if we like 
if we went on like match.com and we found like the single guys of St. Louis and like we put them onto this guide. So like then we like go on match.com. Then we're like creating a profile for her on match.com. Then we like find this one dude that I'm like, oh my gosh, she needs to go on a date with this guy. Like this is like, this took up our whole entire afternoon. It was like probably one of the best experiences that I could have given this intern. Um, and so then we end up like being like, okay, well, we can't message him on match.com because that's really creepy because we're pretending to be my assistant. But so what we did was like, we literally tracked him down on social media. I found him on Facebook. I reached out to him. I messaged him and I said, you need to go on a date with my assistant and I will pay for the date. Like, and he got <laughs> back to us. He got back to us. He said yes. And they're going to get coffee next no week, uh, next weekend. Yes. Like, and it's, Unreal. I'm so excited for it. I'm like, is it just next Saturday yet? But like, it's like one of those things <laughs> where it's like, and I love it though, because it's like, you should be willing to bend over backwards for people that you love and do crazy things for them, you know? And like, life has so much more purpose and zest and meaning when we do that, when we decide like my to-do list is important. Yes. And let me be responsible and get it done. But let me remember that like my to-do list should include people at the end of the day, because they are the most important thing. Um, I love smallness. I love small steps on repeat and I, I really can 100% wholeheartedly say I do not struggle anymore with like, what is the purpose of my life? I don't think about it anymore. It doesn't drag me down anymore. Like I'm not waiting to get to some like imagine imaginary world where like my calling is fulfilled. I think I'm walking in every single day because I'm stewarding well what I've been given. That is amazing. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. It's yeah. It's so good. It's so good. I feel like this is the perfect time to transition into the part of the show where every episode I love to ask guests a few of my favorite questions. And so awesome. my first question is, how would you describe the kind of person that you most admire in the world? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> you know, I think I most admire people that um, they walk their talk, you know, like it's action. It's not talk to them. Mm. Um, I want to be the type of person that like, opens up their home for anybody and like you can come sit on my couch curl up in a blanket spend the night I don't care open door policy I I think I most admire people that are very hospitable um because I think that's almost like it's not a lost art because I know like especially in the south there are so many hospitable people but like it's something that like the baby boomer generation seems to be really good at that I'm like I want to be hospitable mm. in that way um and so yeah, I think people that are just willing to, like, invest in you. And I, I admire the people that, like, because I know I'm not perfect at it. Like, I, like, somebody will text me and I'll respond back and then it will be, like, another three weeks before I can respond back again or whatever. Um, I admire the people that don't give up on you, like, that fight for you. Like, I admire, like, you know, my best friend, Erin Erickson. Um, she... I love Erin. And Erin was previously on the podcast. Yes, I love her. She's the best. But we always talk about our friendship because it's like we have a very rare and weird friendship in the sense that like if we offend one another, if we hurt one another, we tell each other, we forgive each other and we move forward. And I'm like, that doesn't really happen that much in friendship. Like a lot of times mm. you hurt me, I'm out the door. I hurt you, you're out the door, you know, and like we really have fought for this friendship. And I think Aaron has taught me so much about that. And so I, I really like yeah, I, I like the people and I admire the people that never abandon. That's really, really good. Question number two. 
What are you consuming that you love right now? Well, I'm consuming a lot of cookbooks, but we knew that already. Um, <laughs> I am consuming... Okay, Man in the High Castle. I don't know if you've ever watched it. No. Oh, gosh. It's such a good show. I'm obsessed wow. with it so much. It's on Amazon Prime. And, like, it's... Oh, it's so good. It's basically the premise of it, like, in a nutshell, is, like, it's as if, like, the United States had never won World War II and, like, the Japanese and the Germans split the U.S. into two pieces. And, like, basically what would happen if, like, the Nazis were still in power and the Japanese were also in power. It is wild. It is... Unreal. It's unreal, but it's so, so good. So I, I'm obsessed with it. And I watch it before bed, which is not a good thing. So me and Lane are constantly <laughs> having, like, Nazi dreams, which are just not healthy. But, like, we just... We talk about it constantly. Um... And then another thing that I love right now, um, it's the subscription. It's called Book of the Month Club. Hmm. Um, I'm obsessed with this thing since I found it. Uh, and basically what you do is like you pay a monthly subscription and they give you a choice of like several different books that have not yet been released that are going to be released in hardcover and chances are will be like smashingly awesome bestsellers. And you pick a book, it gets mailed to you and you have that hardcover book for life. And then the next month you pick another book. Like it's Whoa. awesome. I love it so much. And it's catered to your personality. So they put suggestions that they think that you will like. And like I've the last two books that I've read have been like, like, awesome 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 books like so perfect for me and my personality and the coolest thing is that they're not even out yet like the book i finished yesterday comes out february 1st and so it's like i don't know book of the month club i would look it up for people that love to read because i consume books really quickly and um i've really loved this subscription that is so cool question number three what's something scary that you've done recently something that like freaked you out but you did it anyway Man, what did I do that I felt like scared me recently? Well, I got married. That's pretty scary. Um, Honestly, though. <laughs> really, though. Uh, you know, I think, too, like I did uh, speaking this last fall for uh, Propel Women. And it's Christine Kane's organization. And I, I mean, like, I've never I don't think I've ever spoken to a crowd of like 7000 people like that's a little oh, bit wow. terrifying. And uh, I had to consistently do that. Um, and it was really scary for me. And there's a lot of times where like, I don't want to be in front of this many people. But like, I did it and I overcame my fear of that. And um, I feel really proud of that. So yeah, that was scary for me. Public speaking has always been scary for me. And yeah, I still am continued to be asked to do it. So that's good. That's really cool. I love yeah. the fact that you're pursuing it, even though it's freaking you out. Got to do it. Got to do it. Got to do it. All right. My final question for you is, based on the ways you've chosen to step out and live your life differently, what's one thing you'd encourage someone else to do in their own life today? I think, you know, I think that the biggest thing that I've like learned um, or the thing that I think is most important is like, I really think it comes down to like putting your health first. I think it's, to me, it's huge. It's like, and there's a lot of ways that you can do that. But I think I used to always think of like, well, I don't have time for that because if I'm taking care of people and I'm taking like, you know, I'm doing all this stuff, like I don't always have time to go to the gym or I don't have time to cook meals for myself. And I, I think I've learned in 2016 that like, if you're taking care of yourself, it is so much easier to take care of everything else. And 
it's harder for sure to meal prep or it's harder for sure to get that workout in, but like it is a way that you like respect your body and like you sharpen your brain. And so, um, really like for anybody out there, it's like it, like it makes such a huge difference when you start to do things like meal prepping or when you like, you get groceries for the week, even though you feel like there's no time to fit that in because the result of it is like, if you don't have food, you immediately run to the nearest fast food restaurant or you spend money you don't need to be spending. And so I find that a lot of stuff trickles into health and that if we're taking care of ourselves, like we can better take care of, of the people around us and we can better live out our calling. Um, and so I don't know if that's like, I mean, I, I hate to be the one that's like meal prep, you know, like, cause I'm not, no, a food that's blogger, really but... practical and healthy. And that's something yeah, and that it, it's been a game changer for sure. Yeah. And my wife and I are about to do whole 30, uh, at the end of the month and we're like very nervous and excited to like step into kind of being more intentional and taking care of ourselves. Well, and once you get to like, day, you'll get to like day eight, day nine. So like stick in there, stick it through the cravings. And like, you literally are like, man, I feel amazing. Like I feel so good. And then you can start to make better decisions based on like, well, I don't want to feel the way that I felt before this. And so it's hard, but the discipline is worth it. Like to set you up for a better life. Amazing. Take care of your body and you're going to be able to accomplish the things that you're setting out to accomplish. Hannah, I'm seriously so glad that we've gotten to talk today. Um, where can people keep in touch and follow along with your story and how can they get involved with what you're doing? Yeah. So, um, all the things that I'm personally doing, um, the handles are the same. It's Hannah Brencher on Twitter and on Instagram and, um, online at hannahbrencher.com. I'm technically Hannah Sheets, but I'm just keeping all the social handles the same. Um, and, uh, Anything for more love letters is moreloveletters.com. You can find all the info you need right there. Seriously, Hannah, this is so good. I love your story. I've appreciated it for a long time, and I'm so glad that uh, I got to get to know you more on the show today. Thank you. I loved being here, so thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much to each and every one of you who tuned into Sounds Good this week. I love hearing all your favorite quotes and thoughts about the podcast every week on Twitter and Instagram and over email. If you want to get in touch or share something that stood out to you or join the community, follow along at at Brandon Harvey everywhere. That's Brandon with an E-N. If you ever have feedback about the show, ideas for future inspiring guests, or just want to say hi, you can shoot me an email at brandon at brandonharvey.com. And speaking of email, have you signed up for the good newsletter yet? I know it can sometimes feel like the bad things happening in the world are overwhelming. I feel that weight every day. But the truth is that there is so much good in the world, and it's important for us to celebrate it. There's something beautiful and powerful about it. So every single week, I send out a personal email to a community of optimists and world changers filled with a few good news stories from the world around us. And by sending it out, it's changed the way that I see the world. It's filled me with a little bit more hope. And that's what people keep on saying about the newsletter as well. They love receiving it because it reminds them that there's good stuff happening even on the worst weeks. So I'd love for you to join us. It's easy. Just visit goodnewsletter.org. And don't forget that this week and every week, you can find and share the episode page for this week's episode of Sounds Good at Sounds Good Podcast. 
gradient.com. This show, Sounds Good with Brendan Harvey, is part of the Gradient Podcast Network and is created in collaboration between Gradient and I. And with that, that's a wrap for this week's podcast. I'll see you around the internet and I'll talk to you next week when we get the opportunity to learn from another inspiring person. Sound good?